I want it all to make sense. Solomon's Search for Meaning. You can open up to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. The series is called Solomon's Search for Meaning. And the sermon today is called Prepare for Eternity Part 1. Prepare for Eternity Part 1. Today, Solomon is going to, as he's wrapping up this book, this week and next week, talk to us about aging and death. And so I figured I'd bring a little prop up here to uh, remind us that our days on earth are limited. Our days on earth are short, and every day there's another, you're another step closer to your time running out. I'm just going to put this over here during the entire sermon so that we can remember that time keeps passing along and soon our days will be gone. And then what? And then what? And then what? Are you preparing for eternity? Throughout history, people have thought about time and aging and they've been haunted by it or blessed by the realization that life is short. Uh, and so they've used that to talk about life and, and time and eternity. I've got a few quotes for you up here. Um, one of them is from a playwright long ago, Plautus. He said, the gods confound the man who first found out how to distinguish hours. Confound him too, who in this place set up a sundial to cut and hack my days so wretchedly into small portions. He was lamenting that there was a sundial cutting up time and making him realize, uh, you know, how quickly it passes. Here's the next quote from who else? Dr. Seuss. How did it get so late so soon? It's night before it's afternoon. December is here before it's June. My goodness, how the time has flown. How did it get so late so soon? You know that time flies. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12 is talking to the youth. He's talking to the young in general, but he will sometimes also call out a young man as if he's talking to one young man. He did that at the end of chapter 11, verse 9. Rejoice, O young man. Uh, in Proverbs early on, he talks to his son. My son, listen to my commands. And so you can, you can hear this fatherly voice. You can hear this um, old man talking to the young about what? About what? Today the sermon is about death. Well, at least the first point. It's a two-point sermon, and the first point is a jarring, sobering, yet moving picture of death. And then point two is how our lives should change based on the picture we have just seen. Two points. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in your word, you give us the law. You also give us poetry, pictures, songs that help us to understand the world around us. And today we have a picture of the future. We have a picture of death. We have a picture of mortality. And it's deep, it's beautiful, it's frightening. It's dark. I pray that through this picture that we see today, you would prepare our hearts for eternity. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, number one, you can write this down. Your life on earth will end soon. Your life on earth will end soon. And in chapter 12, verse 1, Solomon paints a picture. 
I'm going to read it all, and then we'll circle back and unpack it. He says this, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. It's important to point out from the beginning that this picture of death is not primarily directed toward the dying. It's directed toward the living. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth is where this all begins. Solomon wants the youth. I'll let you decide if you are young. I'm middle, okay? So maybe you're young, and this should hit you right between the eyes. Maybe you're middle, like me. There's plenty plenty in this picture to prepare you and me for life. Maybe you're older. Maybe you're very old. And hey, this will be a blessing for you as well. But it's primarily directed toward the youth. We can't lose sight of that. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Specifically, he's talking here about just getting older, just getting older and your body will break down and therefore you will near the end and you will arrive at the end of your life. That's what he's foreshadowing. Your life on earth will end soon. Point one is going to be depressing, a downer, but it's going to motivate us to live and to make it count. Hey, are you thinking about the end? Are you thinking about eternity? When you're younger, usually the answer is no. No, you're not. Unless something happens in your life that jars you and makes you realize your own mortality. But the older you get, the more you do think about how your days are shorter, running down, and may soon run out. You don't know how much time you have left. Throughout Ecclesiastes, Solomon has talked about the value of being reflective on death so that you will live a life that is better. He says it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. It impacted him more deeply to go to a funeral than to go to a wedding. It changed his perspective more to mourn. So it seems like it's a downer, but it's actually meant to fill life with more joy, to make life richer in the end. There are several word pictures listed in this passage. And I had to make some choices in how I would interpret it. The way I'm interpreting it is to see these images as 
combining into one picture. Now, I could also just as easily talk about how it's a series of images that aren't really interconnected. But I'm uh, in the camp on the side. I feel like it's one rolling picture of a scene. And there's a depth to this passage that I wish I had time to go to. I would encourage you to study it on your own because it's very deep. But these several word pictures all do convey death, approaching and arriving, that is for sure. There's a winter chill, there's dark skies, there's a cool breeze, there's a great house or a mansion or a palace um, and a funeral. And when you bring all these together, it's, it's a picture of death coming and arriving. Write this down first. Imagine a great old mansion closing in decay. Imagine a great old mansion closing in decay. It says in verse 3, In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, the strong men are bent. The grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the window are dimmed. The doors on the street are shut. It describes a house, and there's servants, several servants, several groups of servants and people inhabiting it, so it's a nice house. Uh, and it's like an old mansion closing. The work is winding down. The workers are, uh, are shrinking in number. And because these workers are kind of portrayed as being weak or perhaps older, I get the image as being an older household that has had its glory and it's now winding down. Imagine a great old mansion closing in decay. There are keepers of the house. There's kind of four groups of people mentioned here. It says when the keepers of the house tremble... Those might be like doorkeepers, and the strong men um, are bent. Some people see that as kind of the, um, the uh, lower class men and then the upper class men who are in the house at higher places of service or even protection of the house. They're bent, they're trembling. The grinders cease, and they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed. These, perhaps, some would say as two groups of women, those who are working at the grinder to make food and those who are up... Um, perhaps in the second floor looking through the windows, uh, not working, but having more of a leisurely life. But there are four groups of people in the household, and they are all experiencing decline in some form, trembling, bending, grinding is ceasing, and the windows are dimming, and the doors are shut. The doors could be the doors from the house to the city. They could even be the city gates. But life is winding down. The, the household is closing down. There's, there's decay. I've got some pictures here of just what we might think about if we think of a great old household that is kind of uh, decaying, declining. The work is winding down. In our world, it would be maybe something like that. Uh, it had its glory, but now it's uh, being subdued. And here's another picture. This is, in my mind, what, what it could look like. This great old household that was bustling with activity, but now it's gloomy and dark and it's just subdued. What, whatever it actually looked like, this is an example of a picture of what Solomon has in mind. Servants are in rough shape. Things are closing down. Not much is happening anymore. There is a storm. It says in verse 2, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain or with the rain. So, it's just totally dark outside. Like, imagine like it was day and then the sun even went down, light's gone, sun's gone, stars are gone, and the clouds and the rain are here. What a dark, depressing day. It could be that the storm is the cause of the temporary decline of the household, but given the overall image, it seems like these 
all point to the final decline um, of these elements. Imagine a great old mansion closing in decay. This is a picture of what it's like for life to come to an end. Jot this down. While the skies are dark and stormy, imagine a great old mansion closing in decay. While the skies are dark and stormy. If the metaphor does all run together, then the severe storm is coming and it's causing the estate to wind down perhaps for the last time. The sun represents the youth of life earlier in the book, just a chapter ago. So this is not only portraying a dark day, it's portraying life getting darker and ending. There's no more light, there's no more life. The end of life is like a gloomy day. The end of life is like a bad weather day, like a house shutting down, and there's trembling, and there's fading. Imagine. Here's a picture of like a, a dark and stormy day, you know, where there's a city, and this is, um, this is a picture of what's coming. There's a day coming in your future. It's the day that you pass along, and because of this, because of this, we are supposed to reflect on mortality. Your life on earth will end soon. Imagine a great old mansion closing in decay while the skies are dark and stormy and the light is gone. It's very easy to see some of the layers in this chapter because the sun, the light, the moon, the stars are darkened and it just makes you think of creation reversing. It just makes you feel like the light from the beginning, the stars that were created are now all being covered over. It's one more layer of depth. Jot this down. As a funeral passes by, your life on earth will soon end. Imagine a great old mansion closing in decay while the skies are dark and stormy. As a funeral passes by, it says the doors on the street are shut when the sound of grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. These daughters of song um, can be interpreted several ways. Some people think it's like the birds, a type of bird. Other people think that this funeral is approaching, and so daughters of song would represent those who are singing because of a funeral, and they're mentioned again soon. They're afraid also of what is high, and terrors are on the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along. Desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners, here's the mourners, the mourners go about the street. So there's a funeral. There's a funeral. So here's a picture of a funeral on a dark and rainy and gloomy day. You can see how this image of the household is winding down and there's barely any light in there and there's a storm in the sky and the whole city is kind of subdued and the doors are shut and people are trembling and bent over and now there's a funeral and mourners are in the streets. You see it's very clear what's being described here. As a funeral passes by, some people think in the passage that the master of the household has just died. Solomon doesn't fill in the blanks here. It's possible that because the master died, the household is winding down, and that's why workers are out of the house. That's possible. I think, though, the narrator is positioned in this passage outside of it all, watching, seeing everything that's going on, and therefore I think it's best to assume that the funeral is for the readers. You are put in the position of the person who's not doing anything. You're watching it all happen. It's best to assume it's 
your funeral that you're seeing unfold. Imagine a great old mansion closing in decay while the skies are dark and stormy. As a funeral passes by, there's no joy outside. The whole town is sad. It's shut down. This mourning, this weeping, this darkness is coming soon. Do you see the picture? Then it goes on to say this. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. So jot this down, near a beautiful well that is now destroyed. Near a beautiful well that is now destroyed. The simplest idea here is we're now at a cistern or a fountain or a well that doesn't work anymore because everything necessary to get the water up and out has been destroyed. Maybe by the storm. We don't know how consistent the image is, but the well is just destroyed. It's gone. You can't pull water up. And just as light is an image of life and that's gone away, water is an image of life and now you can't get the water up out of the cistern anymore. It's a picture of death. This broken, beautiful well is a picture of death. Here's a picture of a beautiful well. You know Tom Kincaid, right? His, paint, his paintings and there's just a beautiful well and a peaceful cottage and this is kind of you know a cottage view of what a beautiful well would look like and you'd go and get your water and it would keep you alive and you'd enjoy life now cover this all in shadow and rain and break the bucket and and topple over the top and and that's a picture of what was life and joy and even prosperity given the articles here at the well is now gone near a beautiful well that's now destroyed it is possible that these items or articles don't all go together at the same place. The silver cord and the golden bowl could actually easily be used to describe a temple lantern, uh, a great golden bowl of oil that's blazing with fire, and the silver, silver cord could be part of what holds it up. So this could actually tie into a light going out again, just as well as a well running dry. Then it goes on to the pitcher that is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. Is it the wheel that is used to raise up? the water from the well? We don't know. Listen, it's a picture. It's poetic. It's meant to show us something we can't exactly describe, but we get what it's saying. There's no more light. There's no more joy. There's no more water. This is a moving picture of life at its end. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. You can see there how easily it is to go a layer deeper. Dust back to the dust. That's right back to Eden. And again, if you run all of these images through creation, you can see how this is with the insects and the trees being mentioned. And all of this is kind of an undoing of the very beginning of humanity itself. When a life is lost, it's precious. God gave life to that person. And we're supposed to see starkly humiliating how, how it is to hear it, but we are just dust. That's all we are. Yet we are made in God's image. God breathed on us, yet we are just dust. And we're going back to the dust where we came from soon. So these pictures show us that life is going to run out. It's haunting, it's beautiful, it's troubling, it's real. We're supposed to face what's coming in this passage. I love the versatility of the Bible. Solomon could have just written, you're going to die, get ready. Instead, he paints a picture. It's supposed to move us. 
Now, I took us through just the very surface layer, simplest explanation for this image, one image strung together. And again, I don't have time to go all into the depths of this because you can actually do a great study of how he doesn't just look back to Eden, but he also foreshadows apocalyptic things in this passage. The very end of humanity and the beginning of humanity are both described with interesting precision here. But I will say this, there's a very strong case to be made that not only is this a metaphor, a picture of something, but it's also an allegory. So it's like an allegory within a metaphor. While this household, this storm and everything shows us a picture of death, all of these parts can symbolize the human body breaking down at the end of life. So that's called an allegory, where each of the parts kind of symbolizes something, and we're supposed to get that it's talking about something else. I do think there's a very strong case for that, and so I'm going to share that with you as well. It's kind of like the OxyClean guy. But wait, there's more. Remember him? But wait, there's more. Not only is this a stirring, sad portrayal of death, there's more. It also is a picture of what it feels like physically to die. If you circle back, You see that the lights are going out. The clouds are covering everything over. Can't even see the stars. And that can be a a picture of how the eyes will fail. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent, the grinders see so the keepers of the house, the strong men, age brings with it a bending and a trembling. The limbs, the bones, there's a bending, there's a trembling, there's a darkening. It says the grinders cease. Well, that obviously could refer to the teeth in the mouth because they are, as you age, few, as it says here. And those who look through the windows, now we can be back to the eyes, are dimmed. The doors on the street are shut. It could be the mouth or even the senses in general. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of the bird, now we're listening with the ears. You get up early when you're older. And all the daughters of song are brought low, be the dimming of the sense of sound, afraid of also of what is high and terrors are on the way, not quite at peace with even going out because of what could happen. The almond tree blossoms. This is a beautiful picture here, and one of the key reasons why people kind of see this as symbolic of the body. Check it out. Here's an almond tree blossoming. Uh, it could symbolize the white hair that comes, you know, with old age. Uh, it could also be interpreted to mean the almond tree is becoming uh, repulsive or offensive. There's different views on that, but the grasshopper drags itself along. You see this, this insect that is known for being like very springy and, you know, like moving quickly, and now it's just kind of dragging slowly. Do you see how you can make a really good case that this is describing a human body in its final stages of decay? I mean, it's pretty obvious that you can make a really good case that that's another layer that's going on here. And desire fails, that um, can easily stand for the desire to procreate, which also warps us back to Eden. And you can see how this is the undoing of all of that, because man is going to his eternal home. Now it's clear, the stakes. And it is talking about man dying. That also ties into this image of a man dying. Man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets, 
Before the silver cord is snapped, the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, the wheel broken at the cistern. This here, I think, is just a catch-all description of life in its glory and its opulence. You had things that were precious and water that was sustaining it, and it's now all broken. It's just a picture of a life dying. Well, now you can see your future, but the question is, how do you feel about it? How do you feel about thinking about that day that's coming? You don't know when it's coming, but it is coming. And how do you feel when you think about that day? Do you feel a fear? A sense of loss? Does it fill you with anguish? Is it at all possible that you actually find some joy in that thought or relief at the rest that is coming And especially if you're younger and you're here today in college or in high school, how does it make you feel to think about that day that is soon coming? Number one, your life on earth will end soon. Now that we have seen this picture and I've depressed you and frightened you, I want to lift your spirits a little because this picture is meant to change your life. Number two... So live a godly, wise, joyful life and start while you were young. This is the whole point. He shows this picture to the young to say what he said leading up to it. Live a godly, wise, joyful life and start while you were young. He says in verse 1, remember also your creator. It means to adopt a way of life. Adopt a way of life that is mindful of God. Solomon writes to his son, to the young, remember your creator. And he thinks about it in this moving, stirring way. Everybody wants to stay young, am I right? You think that staying young forever is actually the secret to living a joyful life. I was thinking about Rod Stewart, because sometimes I do. Rod Stewart wrote a song for his kids after he felt like he was neglecting them because he was on tour. I want to play a little bit of it for you, Forever Young, and then I'll tell you why. Go ahead and play that clip. Back when they drove around with no seatbelts in the back of pickup trucks, they were asking for trouble, okay? (laughs) Take some sand out of the bottle there. He wrote this. Here's what he says at the beginning. May the good Lord be with you down every road you roam. And may sunshine and happiness surround you when you're far from home. And may you grow to be proud, dignified, and true. And do unto others as you'd have done to you. Be courageous and brave. And in my heart, you'll always stay forever young. That spirit of wanting to exhort the young to live in the right way and to have God's blessing upon them, that's actually the spirit of what's going on here. That's the spirit of what's happening. It's a bit of a benediction. And that's how we should take it as well. But we have to also realize that Solomon's picture of death is incomplete here. Solomon doesn't know what to do with the tomb. So what I want to do for this second part of the sermon is bring Jesus into the picture that Solomon has painted. His painting was not done. He could not have known what God would do with death. 
We, knew, we learned on Good Friday that Jesus entered into the world and turned the tomb into the source of life and light forever. Solomon didn't even see that coming. So let's introduce Jesus into this picture that Solomon has painted. And let me ask you this question. Does your life demonstrate that you are preparing for eternity? How does your life demonstrate that you are preparing for eternity? Jesus came into the world to change all of our priorities and relationships, our understanding of time. And if you're chasing the wind and you haven't found Jesus Christ yet, you're not ready for forever. But if you understand that Jesus alone is the only one who can prepare you for eternity, your entire life will begin to orbit around him. Jot this down. Only Jesus can deliver you from judgment. So the first word was godly. What does it mean to be godly? Well, it means to be delivered from judgment. Solomon really wants the people reading this book to know judgment is coming. That's going to be a big part of next week's sermon. For God, verse 14, will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Judgment is coming. Now that should terrify you. It's it's coming. Judgment is coming. As soon as the final grain of sand of your life falls, you will stand before your maker. Are you ready for that? Preparing for eternity is preparing for judgment. What on earth can get us ready to die? Well, I've got good news for you. Jesus interrupted every funeral he ever attended. Get up, get up, get up. He brought the person back from the dead. That shows that though you die, Jesus will give you life beyond the grave. He's the only one who can do that. He alone can deliver us from the judgment of sin and death. Do you have the Son in your life? This is what we would call it. It means to worship Christ. We want you to worship Christ, not just to like Him, not just to like Him, to worship Him, because He alone can deliver you forever. In 2 Corinthians 5.1, it says this. We'll put it on the screen. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. You see now how we see that picture that Solomon painted where the house which represents our life is all falling apart, shutting down. There's no light. If and when that happens, guess what? Jesus made us an eternal home in heaven. Yeah, we walk away from that house. Yeah, we walk away, but to where? To where? Now, now, adding into this picture is this great and glorious, beautiful mansion beaming with light that will never be destroyed again. Do you see how Jesus fills in this picture of death? Wow. John 14, 2, Jesus says this, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? He's there right now, preparing a place for you. And only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can go and prepare a place in the many rooms that the Father has built. Hey, are you preparing for eternity? Do your priorities and your relationships show that? And above all, have you had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ, who came into this world to tell you that he called it a tent. <laughs> the Bible calls it a tent. When the tent that is your life is rolled up soon, he's going to prepare a place for you to live forever. Is Jesus your savior? Is, is he your, I like this, this image here, is he your home builder for where you're going to spend forever? The designer and 
builder of the place of your residency for all of eternity? Is that him? Have you asked him to be your savior and told him that you want him to save you from judgment? Only Jesus can deliver you from death. So live a godly, wise, joyful life. Godly means you are saved from judgment by Jesus Christ. Jot this down. Only Jesus can teach you the way of wisdom. Only Jesus can teach you the way of wisdom. So Solomon wants us to live a wise life. And let's talk about the wisdom that comes from Jesus Christ. Living a life that pleases God, that doesn't conform to this world, is described in the Bible as following the light. So it says in the book of Psalms, your word is a, a lamp to my feet. Your word is a light for my path. Living your life in accordance with God's words is, is like the, you know, one trillion lumens flashlight that shows you your way through this dark and dangerous world. You see now the picture. Let's, can we put that picture of the town up again, Charleston, the dark town? Can we put that up there again? You, you can see now how when you add the light of the world to this picture, the light will never go out. Which is why in the New Testament, the sun's coming up. The darkness is long gone, it says. Dawn has arrived. The sun never stops coming up in the New Testament. It doesn't matter how dark it gets. The darkness has not overcome it. You see how Jesus being added to the picture of death adds all the light that we need. And that includes the light of following his commands. You can't be in the light of Christ without, without the word of God. It's in following the word that you find the light of heaven. John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the light of the world has come, and if we follow him out of the darkness, that's our sin, then we never have to fear darkness again. Wow. The idea of light and wisdom going together occurs throughout Scripture. And the challenge here, it's also found in Ephesians 5, 10 to 11. Find out what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the fruitless deeds of darkness. Finding God's will is walking into the light. The world is a dark place where there's much foolishness. And there's a man named Abba Ibn, who was Israel's ambassador to the UN and the US in the 1950s. And here's what he said back then. Imagine his life. Uh, in, in uh, world affairs. He said, history teaches us that men and nations behave wisely once they have exhausted all other alternatives. And I would just challenge you, you don't know how much time you have left. There's actually not, there's not much left here. Whether you're young or old, I've actually, I know of a few times where I told someone about Jesus and it was their last chance. And they, they passed away some of them young. I know I was the last chance that they had. You never know when your time is going to be up, but only Jesus can teach you the way of wisdom. So don't be foolish. Don't walk in darkness. Find out what pleases the Lord. This can be a challenge to be focused in life, to desire to make an eternal difference in the lives of others, and above all, to have a close and personal walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have that? Do you know that? Do you walk with Christ? We talked about worshiping Christ because he's our Savior, but do you walk with him? Is life about your relationship with Jesus? 
Do you read your Bible to know him better? Do you pray to talk to him? Is your relationship with Jesus growing? Hey, listen, the quality of your relationship to Jesus Christ is the quality of your life. It doesn't matter what anything else is happening. It's all about the quality of your relationship with Jesus. So when we talk about living a godly, wise life, This is what this picture of death is meant to do, to give us a desire to be in the light, not to be foolish, because our time will soon run out. It looks like this hourglass. Oh, there's a little left. When I picked it up, there was some bonus time. You don't know how much time you have left. Are you focused? Are you walking with Christ, or are you chasing the wind? Are you chasing the best that earth has to offer? Are you gaining the whole world and yet you're going to forfeit your soul in the end? Only Jesus can deliver you from judgment. Only Jesus can teach you the way of wisdom. Jot this down. Only Jesus can give you joy that lasts forever. Joy that lasts forever. Verse 8 of Ecclesiastes 12 says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. A breath. Meaningless. There's, There's no point. But throughout the book... He does acknowledge that if you remember your creator, then it does add joy to life that you can't find anywhere else. Do you have joy in life right now? Or has your life been emptied of joy because of suffering or anxiety? Has your life been emptied of joy because of conflict or fear? Has your life been emptied of joy because of worry, stress, uncertainty? When you face the future, which is the entire point of last week's sermon, the future, does it steal your joy? Remember your creator. And it particularly challenges the young people to realize that if you form a habit of letting your spirit be vexed and full of anguish and anxiety and you can't find the joy that only God can give you when you're young, it's going to be harder and harder and harder as you grow older to grab onto that joy because you're trying to chase it in the world and you'll never find it there. Only Jesus can give you joy that lasts forever. Now we have this idea of the well that is broken. The silver cord is snapped. The golden bowl is broken. The pitcher is shattered. The fountain, the wheel broken at the cistern. How do we introduce Jesus into this idea of the water of life? Well, it's very beautiful in John 7, 37 to 38. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Do you know what that means? It means you will never die because God's Spirit will be upon you. This well that is broken, you see what we're doing here? The skies have grown cloudy and dark and light is gone and we've brought the light of the world into the picture. The house has fallen apart and the servants are, are decrepit and it's not, and, and Jesus built a brand new house that will never be destroyed. And the well, I can't get water and Jesus says, I'll give you water and there'll be rivers and it'll never ever end. Wow. Do you see how when you introduce Jesus to the picture of death, he transforms everything? Everything. And he gives life that will never end. Whatever you have in life that is of great value, in the end, you're just going to be a pretty useless well. All of your stuff scattered and broken, and you're just going back to the dust. Part of the image here could be that some of these things have fallen into the well, and the well is a picture of the tomb. You just, that's where you're going. It's all going to be put in there and life is over. 
But listen, if you worship Christ, you have the light that never goes out. If you walk with him in his way, in his commands, you'll find your way to glory. If you work for him and serve him, there'll be joy because you're making an eternal difference in the lives of people all around you. And then there will be waters in the well of eternal life that you get to draw up forever and ever and ever. Hey, are you preparing for eternity? Do you realize that the day is coming when your time is up? All the days that you've been assigned, they were in God's book before you even lived one of them. God knows the day circled on the calendar. Are you ready for that? Only Jesus can get you ready for that. Have you found Jesus Christ, the light of the world, the water that runs with rivers of eternal life? Have you found Jesus, the designer and builder of your eternal home? Or do you not know him? And friends, I need to tell you something. If you don't know Jesus, you have nothing good waiting for you in the next life right now. If you don't know Jesus, there's nothing waiting for you. No joy, no light, no peace, no rest. Heaven is not your custom-built kingdom designed to your specific specifications. Heaven is the kingdom of Christ. It's his kingdom, not yours. Have you humbled yourself before him, repented of all of your sins, and told him you want that light, you want that water, you want that home in heaven forever because you know your time is coming? The sooner you realize in life that only Jesus can prepare you for eternity, the richer and deeper and better your life will become. Hey, has this picture shaken you to the realization that you have to get ready? The abundant life is only available to you in Jesus Christ. And is he nothing to you? Is he a footnote to you? Is he a little asterisk to you? Is he nothing to you? Are you missing life? The Bible says he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. My hope is that as we close this sermon, that you would prepare for eternity now. This message is not for the dying, but for the living. To challenge us to make our lives count and to get ready. And knowing Jesus is the supreme joy of this life and the next life. Hey, are you chasing the wind? Solomon's chasing the wind. And where's he coming to? He's coming to the end, and he doesn't know what to do with this picture. He had an imperfect picture, but he knew, remember your creator Remember him as soon as, as soon as you can. Remember your creator. God's in the picture. And if Jesus is in this picture of your life, the sun will never set. You'll live forever. Let's pray right now together. Jesus, we love you. We love what you have done to transform everything in this world, particularly death. And I know that there are some here today, whether they're in person or they're watching online, the thought of entering the next world is terrifying. For some people, they know they're not right with you. They know they're not going to heaven. They know they'll be judged and condemned. They're ashamed and afraid. And right here and now, they can give their lives to you, Jesus. They can say, Jesus, forgive me for my many sins. Be my light. Be my river of living water. Build me a home that will never be knocked down. They can say that to you right now. And they'll be saved. Lord, maybe some are making a different mistake. Maybe they thought they're good with you. They're fine. Of course they're going to heaven. 
They're not that bad of a person. And maybe right now you have jarred them to the realization that they can't get themselves to heaven. Only Jesus can do that. And they don't know Jesus. Nothing in their lives gives evidence that they walk with him or worship him or work for him. They're doomed. And maybe they're realizing that their false assurance of heaven has just fallen apart because the picture of their last day didn't have Jesus in it. And right now, maybe they want to invite Jesus to become their Savior and their Lord forever. You can pray right now. You can pray in your own heart. You don't have to pray magic words. You just have to say, Jesus, be the light of my world. Be my river of water forever. I repent of my sins. Save me. Save me, Jesus, and build me a home that will never be torn down. Oh, Lord, for all of us who have known you for so long, fill us with this joy. Death has no sting. Death has no power over us. The sun is up. The darkness is gone. Praise you, Jesus, for conquering the grave and filling in this dark, gloomy, dismal picture with the light of eternity. We love you, Lord, and we worship you. We pray this in your name. Amen.